Welcome to another episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, your home for the latest news and analysis from the world of college hoops. Back again are your hosts, Josh Burton, Phil Dexter, and Peyton Burton. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 124. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton. Joining me yet again today are a pair of my teammates, best friends in the entire world. Joining me today, Peyton Burton, Phil Dexter. Fellas, what is up? Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm freezing. It's cold as hell outside. It's cold as hell in my room. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. I'll tell you what, I feel a whole lot better than the people in Chapel Hill feel today or this past <laughs> week. So I feel good. Phil, how about you? Well, I'm right there with you on being cold, man. It's uh, it's a little chilly here in North Carolina today, but uh, I do take a little bit of joy in that anguish over in Chapel Hill. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the UNC fans, so more than happy to see them getting uh, – getting their comeuppance these past couple weeks with four losses in a row. But uh, I do think it might, it might be time to buy on UNC. Now the price might be low enough. So we, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Well, I couldn't understand the reason why you have so much uh, anger towards North Carolina people, Phil. Why would that be Josh? Maybe because they like to overreact a tad bit to the least amount of criticism. I mean, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, well, and it's sort of like the Yankees and Red Sox fan thing where, like, Red Sox fans think that they're better than Yankee fans and UNC fans think that they're better than Duke fans, but really, they're the worst. Like like you said, <laughs> they can't take any criticism. Um, that What you're talking about, the guy wasn't even following us. He literally just searched out any UNC criticism Did a vanity so that he search, could get yeah. mad about it. So. You can't even you can't even take that kind of stuff like too seriously. If people just want to be mad, they just want to be mad. No, but I tell you what you can take seriously though, Peyton, before you hop in, is that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that today's episode of the Everything College Basketball Podcast is presented by House Enterprises and in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com. For more information, again, we're so blessed to be part of the House Enterprises Network this season. Great teammates over there with the guys at the Road of the Garden and the actual House of College Hoops folks. Go join or go check out our website, house-enterprise.com, for the best collection of college basketball coverage up and down the board that you will find. Also, would be remiss if I didn't mention that, like always... Our, our uh, podcast is brought to you by our title-sponsored Everything College Basketball this season, Beauty to Beast Nutrition, located in downtown Edinburgh, Indiana. It is a healthy juice bar. Stop in, tell them ECB sent you for 10% off your entire purchase. Great people to be in business with. I mean, it's getting cold out, guys. I, I, they've got new holiday-flavored drinks, kind of like they did for Halloween, They've got new like peppermint um, smoothies and protein shakes and all the good stuff. I mean, peppermint's in right now. If you go to Starbucks or McDonald's, they've got their own peppermint drinks. It is phenomenal. I had a regular last week. Again, should have got the mega. But stop in if you are in the downtown Edinburgh, Indiana, or are passing through. Stop in to Beauty to Beast Nutrition. Tell them ECB sent you 10% off your entire purchase. Doesn't matter how many drinks. Tell them. 
I don't think Peyton's got his mic on. Um, I thought he was going to say something. But uh, uh, no, Phil, you, what another you, crazy week. Uh, go ahead. Uh, no, I didn't I didn't hear you. You were lagging really bad, so I didn't know you was done talking. My bad. But what I was going to say, though, because I'll go ahead and step in real quick, uh, talking about Phil and UNC fans, I'm glad it's you that's pissing off an entire fan base. You know, last year I said Kentucky was overrated, and it pissed off the whole BBN you know, it pissed them completely off. So I'm glad it's fucking you and not me this time. Fuck North Carolina. I'm with you. <laughs> I, and, and at the time, we didn't even say they were overrated. That's the we thing. Like, I am not. And, and now, now I just want to rub it in because all we said was that they maybe shouldn't be number one. I guess that is in a way saying that they're overrated. Well, no, like, it but, wasn't even that bad. The, it wasn't even that now bad. that they've the, lost the, four in a row i'm i'm kind of happy to rub their nose in it that they're not even ranked it wasn't even that bad the initial tweet was basically along the lines of when does north carolina start playing like the number one ranked team in the country because at that point they were unbeaten but they were struggling they had tons of struggle wins and they didn't look like number one so the initial tweet we put out was basically when does this team start playing like the number one team in the country? And they got North Carolina people all up in arms. That That's all it was. Like I said, sometimes people just want to be mad and that fan base specifically seeks out criticism. Um, and I mean, that's, that's that, like you said there, we didn't, we didn't say anything inflammatory. So not at all. Um, but I tell you what is moving from sort of a negative to a positive. This last week on ESPN is the annual Jimmy V week. Um, I, I don't know about you guys. I know it's kind of overplayed to death at times, but I can't watch that speech from the ESPYs and not feel a certain emotion. Um, do you guys feel the same way or have you kind of seen it enough that you are a little bit jaded at this point? No, I mean, I think if you if you get desensitized to the uh, Jimmy V speech, then you kind of need to check yourself. That's one of those things that like I could watch a hundred times, probably in a row, and I'm gonna cry every single time, like straight up. Yeah, it's emotional and it's powerful. And for me, it's like you hear it at the right time all the time. Like it's usually when you're kind of in a slump and he's talking about the things that you need to do in life. You should always have your emotions move to tears. You should smile. You should laugh. You should find something that motivates you day in and day out. Like it's like a, what a five, six minute speech, but every time it's done, you feel moved. If you have like a beating heart and soul, you feel moved and motivated. And I mean, it's powerful stuff every time I hear it. Yeah, I mean, it's only five minutes long, like you said, but five minutes feels like it's 30 minutes when he's talking. Um, yeah, it's it's a great motivator. You know, I don't get tired of it, and I don't understand people who complain about it or if they get tired of it, because I definitely don't. I can listen to it all the time. I can go back and watch a video. If, a day, if the day comes and I'm slumped and I don't feel like doing anything, I can just go pull that video on and uh, get some motivation to go throughout the weekend day. Yeah, and with it being Jimmy V week, we do have Jimmy V Classic, the games that we're playing tomorrow. And by the way, for those who are watching along with us live on the YouTube, obviously we're recording a day later than normal. Um, so tomorrow, Tuesday evening, we will talk about these games, the Jimmy V Classic. 
but go do your part. Um, I know this was a speech in 1993, but it still rings true today. Um, we've came a long way in cancer donations for cancer research, but I mean, we've still not come close to eradicating all forms of cancer. Um, our, our lives or people that are close to our lives have been affected by it in some way, shape or form. Um, so go do your part. If you have the extra money, I know last year I donated. Um, at some point this year, I'll donate some more. If you have it, a dollar, hundred dollars, whatever, go do your part. Go to the JimmyV.org. I think it's the website or you can Google the official website. Go do your part. Donate to cancer research and let's help eventually by the time our lives get close to the end point that we've pretty much wiped cancer off the face of the planet or done a good enough job where it's not nearly as lethal. Um, so go do your part on that. But guys, before we get into all the craziness, we had more another week where top five, top 10 teams lose. Um, we've seen Gonzaga take multiple L's before December for the first time in many years. Creighton drops a couple games. We'll get into all that. But I want to debut something on today's show that came to me. And I think it's fun for you guys. Since today, December 5th, I wanted to revisit games from December 5th in history on this date of college basketball. Again, this was kind of a late thing, so I was only, only able to find one game, but it was a big one. On this date, December 5th, 2009, we saw the official arrival of the John Calipari and John Wall Kentucky era. Because number five, Kentucky, takes down number 10, North Carolina, 68-66, inside a jam-packed Rupp Arena, live on CBS. It was John Wall's official arrival to the landscape of college basketball. 16.7 assists, five rebounds, and put a show on in the first half against the reigning champs, the Tar Heels. Um, fellas, I remember this clear as day. It felt like for the first time in many, many years, Kentucky basketball was back on the national stage. They were ranked fifth in part due to the hype, but this was their first big test of the year, and they passed with flying colors. Um, I remember Wall just going ape shit. I remember Clark Kellogg just, I mean, he, he had an and one where his speed was on full display. They fouled him. He did a scoop layup. He did the flex, and Clark Kellogg said something to the effect of, you have no shot of guarding this man if you're backpedaling. He said, Ian, if you're backpedaling, you have no shot at defending him. And just the goosebumps. Ah, I can't believe that was 13 years ago on this date in the history of college basketball. Do you guys have any memories of that? That game specifically, no, but just how good that team was in general. And like you said, sort of the return of Kentucky basketball that entire season. I mean, they had been to the tournament obviously in, in plenty of years prior to that, but since like sort of Tayshawn Prince in my mind, I don't remember Kentucky having like this star player that you were like really excited to see. Um, and then they had John Wall and obviously Cousins was on that team, Eric Bledsoe, that team was absolutely loaded. Um, so like you said, I sort of just remember specifically that season and the return of Kentucky basketball. Yeah, I don't remember too much about this specifically. It was a specific game. I just know it was a top 10 battle. It was a big uh, test for Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, John Wall, I mean, he had a special season. There's a lot more plays throughout that season. I remember I remember him shitting on someone on the, the team from Georgia, um, hurting his back, too, on that he game. He shit all over Indiana and Assembly yeah. Hall that year, too. 
Yeah, I him against Louisville, he tore us up as well. Like he's still to this day like my favorite player to ever go to the University of Kentucky. Uh, he's just so special. It was a human highlight reel every time he stepped yep. on the court. Yeah, and that really, and it's crazy. It was 13 years ago today that the return of Kentucky basketball back to the national stage. So fun memories. This is something we're going to try to do as long as we can find the old, you know, history reports. This is something I'd like to do moving forward on this date. Uh, could be a lot of fun. One other bit of pe- or bit of housekeeping th- news. Since this is a Monday instead of a Sunday, we just released the updated ECB Top 25 poll. It's fresh off the presses. Phil just released it within the last hour. Um, running down the Top 25 in the ECB Top 25 poll. Again, shout out to all of our collection of voters in this, um, what we're doing this year. But real quick, 1 through 25, we've got Houston, Texas, Purdue, Virginia, UConn, Top 5. 6 through 10 is Kansas, Arizona, Arkansas, Baylor, Tennessee. 11 through 15 is Duke, Maryland, Auburn, Alabama, Indiana. 16 through 20 is Kentucky, Illinois, UCLA, Creighton, Gonzaga. And then 21 through 25 is San Diego State, Iowa State, TCU, Miami, Virginia Tech. A couple teams bumping into the polls this week in Virginia Tech. TCU's back. Uh, Miami's back in there. And then you have some teams that fell out primarily the North Carolina Tar Heels. Fellas, thoughts on the updated ECB Top 25? Um, I'll tell you what, I love, we always say this every time and everyone else said, I love the throwback logos, but my God, Kansas is a throwback logo. I can't stand that one. That's one of my least favorite logos on Buddy, this list. Buddy, it looks like a six-year-old drew that it, thing it, Yes, it looked like I was like five years old just drawing something <laughs> out. <laughs> but my God, it's, it's really weird looking at this list and seeing Gonzaga at 20. It is, man. Really weird. Yeah. Weird seeing Gonzaga at 20. Um, Creighton fell, you know, fell a little ways with a, a couple of losses. And uh, happy to see Maryland moving up. Happy to see Maryland getting some love. We'll talk a little bit more about them later in a different segment. But uh, Iowa State, you know, creeping their way up. Um, was a little disappointed. I had Mississippi State personally at number 20. In my poll, was a little disappointed to not see them crack the top 25 here. I think they deserve a lot of love. Yeah, I'm with uh, you. I had, Adam no, 22nd. Yeah, Adam 22nd. So I'm with you there. Um, but overall, I mean, this is I've I've loved doing this poll every week. It's always interesting seeing. You know, we ha- we have a couple outliers each and every week. Um, so it, it's always fun seeing that. Um, but this week, Houston got six votes for first place. Um, Texas got one vote and Purdue got one vote. Um, we had a couple of voters who were out this week, so we were a little shorter than usual, but Houston pretty handily taking the, uh, first place nod. Yeah. And I don't think that's a big, I, I feel like, and the AP obviously came out with their updated one today, but I feel like we're, everybody's kind of on the same par with the top five. Houston's kind of the overwhelming number one. And then you have some sort of combination between texas purdue virginia yukon two through five i feel like everybody kind of agrees on that top five especially with houston number one although they were challenged this week they're, they've not been blowing teams out here lately which is good because they're going to have harder challenges coming up um uh, along with the ecb top 25 which you can find the full rundown if you missed it here we always post it it's on our twitter at ecb podcast 10 it's on the facebook group you you'll be able to find it but Today was the first unveiling of the 
first uh, batch of net rankings. Keep in mind, the net rankings are the metric in which the NCAA over the last few years has went to to determine um, a lot of different variables, right? Uh, Houston's one in that as well. UConn, two in the net. You can find these again. I've posted the top, basically the top 60 in the Facebook group and on the Twitter. If not, you can go just do a quick Google search. Um, a couple things that real quick I want to touch on that stand out. Mississippi State, you're talking about. We both have them ranked. I know Johnny has them ranked inside our poll when we did our individual ballots. They are fifth in the net rankings currently. Sam Houston, seventh in net rankings. Um, you look at a couple others. You got Duke down at 17, Kansas 18, Florida Atlantic 23. Kentucky is 42, North Carolina 39. Again, you can find the full deal. And Peyton, I don't remember the exact one, but Louisville is like 300 some. Why? Why even bring them up? I, I'm, I'm just saying. Listen, I, like 300 some. It, it don't surprise me. Okay. Well, like, I'm I'm, I'm curious what our Ken Palm rating is. Real quick. It, it's on. terrible. It, it's I know it's terrible, but you, it's, it's like 261. It's not, no, it's 206. Oh, okay. Well, but it's still better awful. than what I thought. Yeah, let's not talk about them anymore. Um, real quick, fellas, anything that stands out? I know it's just the first batch, but, I mean, if you look at it, Sam Houston State would be a quad one victory if you were to beat them right now. Yeah, that was going to be what I said, is Sam Houston at number seven. Um, Maryland, who we just talked about at number six. Mississippi State at number five. I mean, there's definitely a few surprises up there in that top ten right now. Um, West Virginia, got to give them some love at number 11. Um, we got a lot of teams sort of in this – one through 15 area that nobody's talking about. Um, another team that kind of surprising is Utah State. So um, definitely some big surprises up there. I'll tell you what, um, speaking of, I guess it wouldn't be a surprise. I, I guess that's a little bit of a stretch. But moving on to reviewing the action from last week, we talked about it last week. The Big Ten ACC Challenge just came out, I think, after recording that this will be the last Big Ten ACC as the contracts have expired. They've decided, ESPN's decided, obviously, to not go forth with this anymore because in part of the Big Ten signing their mega contract with Fox slash NBC, I think they're split between both, if I'm not mistaken. So ESPN wants to have their own. It sounds like the ACC SEC challenge will be replacing it next year. So this is the last big 10 ACC challenge and ACC wins the final challenge eight, six. Um, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about how good the big 10 have looked and then they lose the challenge um, before we get into the actual games. Are you surprised that a relatively struggling ACC um, ends up winning this challenge 8-6? Yeah, I definitely was leaning towards the Big Ten. I had it Big Ten 8-6. There there was just some of those games where, you know, they were still the lower tier teams in the Big Ten, but you expected they would be better than the lower tier teams in the ACC. Um, You know, Minnesota got absolutely slaughtered. They, They looked to be the the bottom of the big 10. Um, but yeah, just not quite the results we were expecting for sure. Uh, does it surprise me a little bit? Um, but the ACC, I think it may be a better conference what people are expecting this year with teams like Miami and Virginia Tech stepping up. Yeah. North Carolina is playing like dog shit right now. Lost four in a row. They lost the marquee matchup of the big 10 ACC challenge, but I think the ACC is a little bit better than what we all expected coming to this year. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't at least split it, but 
you know, Big Ten, I still think they got a lot. I think the Big Ten's definitely the better conference. Hell, most of their, I think, in our top 25, majority of the teams, I think four teams are inside the Big Ten for our top 25. Well, let's start with one of the big ones we were kind of previewing. Um, Phil, you were there live and in, in person for this one. Duke 81, Ohio State 72, inside Cameron Indoor. Um, let's hear your thoughts, man, because you were there in live and in person covering this game. Uh, first of all, Ohio State, like, I don't know what they're feeding those guys. I don't know who their strength and conditioning coach is, but <laughs> fucking massive just across the board. Bruce Thornton looks like an NFL running back. Zed Key is fucking huge. Bryce Sensabaugh is a grown man. Like, they, they have a lot of dudes on that team. Um, so I was just impressed with that to start off with. Um, as far as performances go, impressed with the way Zed Key played for, you know, Ohio State in the loss. He had another big performance last year against Duke. Um, so I don't know. So, something about the Blue Devils just gets Zed Key going. Uh, Justice Suing is starting to look healthy, really take on a bigger role for Ohio State. Um, I mentioned Bruce Thornton. Didn't have a huge game scoring-wise, but just showed off a nice little floater, a nice pull-up jumper. Um pretty mature, you know, for running the offense as a freshman. Um, Sean McNeil hit a couple of just absolutely crazy shots. Ohio State has some dudes. Um, I know they lost this game by nine, but they, they're they going to compete for the Big Ten title. I would be shocked if they weren't in the top five there. Um, as far as Duke goes, super impressed with Jeremy Roach. He only shot three for nine in this game, 0 for three from three, but the passing that he displayed and the passing from this team in general – I mean, I sent you guys some videos, and there was like yep. four highlight reel passes. Just on a rope. I mean, on yeah. a rope between Jeremy defenders. Roach had one on a rope. Blakes had a great pass on a rope. Uh, Filipowski had a good backdoor pass. Um, they were just – they were moving the ball awesome. Lively. It didn't seem like he had a great game necessarily, necessarily if you watched it, but looking at the box score, he had 11 points, five rebounds, a couple of blocks. So, I mean, he was definitely contributing. Dariq Whitehead – had a big three that kind of turned the momentum late in the first half. So I think you're really starting to see this Duke team round into form. Still want to see more out of Lively and Whitehead, though. Well, I want to ask you, because this is like your fifth or sixth time watching Duke and in person. And if you look at the box score from this game, five guys in double figures, nobody higher than 16 points being Filipowski. I feel like this is the identity of Duke, how they're going to win games. I feel like to win games and especially to make a march run, they're going to have to rely on the collective as opposed to a guy like Paolo Bancaro to carry the load scoring. Um, it, do you kind of get that sense as well that this Duke team, to be good and make a deep potential Final Four run, they're going to have to spread the love like this? Five guys in double figures, including Ryan Young being one of them off the bench with 10 points, Grandison nine off the bench. Um, do you feel like that's kind of the key to how Duke's going to have to win moving forward? Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a group effort. Like you said, they don't have a, a major star. I do think at some point Whitehead emerges as a guy that can go out and get you 20, 25 points if they need it when the other guys don't have it going. But that still you know, remains to be seen. That's definitely still a question mark. So currently, I, I, I think you're going to have to have four or five guys because you just, you know, as good as Filipowski is, he can't really get his own shot. Um, 
Lively, another guy who just cannot get his own shot at all. They don't even look for him in the offense unless it's just rolling off the pick and roll for a little rim run. Um, Proctor has been inconsistent with his shooting. So, yeah, it's definitely going to just take, you know, four or five guys, and it's going to have to be a different four or five guys because this team is still a little inconsistent too, like I mentioned. Is Filipowski, do you think he's the best freshman playing right now for this Duke team? Right now, yeah. I still I, – some people are sold that he's better than Whitehead, but I think a lot of people are overreacting to Whitehead and Lively's struggles so far. I think ultimately Whitehead ends up being the best. But right now, Filipowski's probably arguably their best player. I mean, even in this game, Ohio State had started to go on a run. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. To, I think they were on like a 5-0 run and down two. And uh, Filipowski got a steal and then – a layup and an and one on the other end that just completely, you know, reversed the momentum again. Like I had mentioned, Whitehead had that three. So if you don't have those two plays in the game, Duke probably loses this game, to be honest. Peyton, do you still have the same concerns as you did a couple weeks ago with Duke? Because I feel like they're starting the baby Blue Devils, if you want to call them that, since they're so young and loaded with freshmen. I feel like they're gradually growing up. Only two losses to a really good Kansas and a really, really good Purdue team. And they beat Ohio State at home. They're holding their own. And you're starting to see them spread the wealth a little bit. Do you still have the same concerns? Or can you start to see the progression moving forward as well? Uh, I definitely think they're progressing, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I did not expect Jeremy Roach to play as well as he's playing right now. I mean, Phil mentioned it. He had five assists and he dropped some dimes in that game against Ohio State. Um, they held Ohio State shooting 23% from the three-point line. I think they got a top 15, top 25 defense in the country. I think that's going to lead them. If they're going to win games, it's going to be uh, games like these where they just shut teams down defensively. Um Dewey Whitehead, I think with that injury and him not playing those first couple of games, I think by maybe mid-December he's going to start rolling and becoming a five-star freshman like we all thought he would be uh, coming into this year. Uh, I'm really surprised and really impressed with we just talked about Kyle Filipowski. I think if they're going to continue to win games, I think he's going to have to score 15 or more almost every single game. Uh, he did it in the Kansas game. They nearly came out victorious on that one. Um, their three-point shooting, I think, has to get a little better. I just think they need to find someone down the stretch that they can go to consistently on the offensive side of the ball. If they do that, then Duke could contend with Virginia for the ACC title. But they got to figure out this inconsistency. Well, I want to see, and before we move away from Duke, and I said it in our group chat, and I still want to see it. He had nine points in this game off the bench. I thought he was solid, which is exactly what they need, but I want to see more. And I don't know exactly, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know exactly what more is. I don't know it, but I know it when I see it. But I want to see more from Jacob Grandinson. The dude can shoot the ball. Coming over from Illinois, he can shoot. He's experienced. He can play some D, and he can be a veteran leader. For some reason, and again, I'm be completely transparent here. I don't know exactly what I want to see out of him until I see it. Then I'll know. But I feel like there's more he can bring to this team. Phil, you've seen him a bunch of times in person. What's your feelings on Grandison? Do you think I'm maybe off the mark here, maybe a little too harsh? Or do you feel like he can give more to this team? Uh, I I think that you're maybe being a little too harsh on him because I think he's playing the role that they're asking him to play pretty much to a T. But I think I agree with you in that he's capable of more and that they need to ask him to do more. Um, again, so I, I don't think it's on him. I think it's on the coaching staff of just 
you know, he, I can't say getting him more minutes because, you know, he had 26 minutes in this game, but, you know, only got five shots up, only two threes. And you mentioned it. This kid can flat out shoot the ball. So they can definitely, you know, just run him off screens, get him some looks, stuff like because right now they're not running a lot of like set offense. A lot of what they do is pick and roll and then and then guys just sort of improvising. I mean, they they have a couple of things that they run consistently, but. Other than that, it's really just, you know, Roach kind of go make it happen. Um, well, it's, it's and, so and to simple. Peyton's point, I do think Roach is the guy who ends up finishing games, though, for them. Well, Even when Whitehead emerges, I think Roach is that guy. Well, I think it's simple, too. If you want to get a guy like a shots, run pin downs for him. Run yeah, floppy no. run floppy action. Or if you want to have a, a double combo, run inverted offense where he's setting back screens or cross screens for lively in the post. And then he's off free because the defense has to choose. Do we run out with him and check potential three or do we leave lively open in the block or even Filipowski? I feel like there's a few more offensive options that you can run designed to try to get this guy shots because five shots for a guy who shoots the ball that well, he could be a huge key to unlock this Duke potential in my opinion. Well, and you have to wonder how much that offense being this vanilla is because they're so young. I mean, we, we literally just talked about the baby Blue Devils. When you have five, six freshmen that you're working in the mix, you're probably trying to keep things as simple as you can and just, you know, keep working in different looks as the season goes on, as guys get comfortable with things. So wouldn't surprise me if we start to see more of that as the season goes on as well. I think that's fair. But uh, they're, uh, they're big rivals on Tobacco Hill, did not or Tobacco Road, I'm sorry, did not have the, the type of ACC Big Ten challenge that – the baby blue devils did. And that's because maybe the game of the week, at least in this challenge, it was um, Indiana assembly hall was electric. We told you it would be, and it lived up to the billing, the Hoosiers 77, North Carolina 65. And to be honest, if you watch this game and watch the flow of the game, this game was not that close. I told you last week, I made it part of my bank going to Indiana. I felt could dominate and win this game by double digits. It was close at points in the second half, but then again, not really. Again, if you watch the flow, Indiana dominated, had like 50 points in the paint, just killed North Carolina. Um, before we kind of break it all down, Man, how disappointing is North Carolina? You talk about just lack of offense, lack of running shit. When your offense consists of Caleb Love or R.J. Davis settling for a 30-foot jump shot early in the shot clock, that's not good offense. Yeah, I mean, Caleb Love is their best player, but he can't go five for 16. As He makes six shots a game usually that you're like, holy shit, how the fuck did he do that? But he also takes another eight shots a game that you're like, holy fuck, why did he just take that shot? Um, So it's sort of, you know, feast or famine with him. We talked about it last year that they just need to start running the offense more through R.J. Davis. You know, R.J. wasn't particularly good in this game, but they're still allowing Caleb Love to bring the ball up a lot of the time, initiate the offense. They need to go back to what? you know, got them on that hot streak last year, which is letting RJ Davis initiate the offense. And and by initiate offense, you literally mean Kale Blood fucking dribbling a couple times, taking a shot. That's the offense yeah. when he has the ball. That's it. And, and maybe, maybe coming off of a screen. Yeah, that's it. Well, all yeah. four guys, you got an All-American and Armando Baycott who had a fairly decent game despite being injured in this game um, and being in foul trouble. You know, you have the, 
a guy that could get you a bucket down low and you make him stand around. Like, I don't get it. Um, and I know he didn't shoot well in this game, but Pete Nance as well. I mean, Pete Nance can get you a bucket from three. He can get you a bucket on the block. He can get his own bucket drive into the rim. I mean, there is no reason for them to be playing hero ball the way that they are. Peyton, how good was Assembly Hall? We knew it would be good, baby, but how special was Assembly Hall for big games? This is a game I wish I was able to go to and go watch, uh, even as a fan, whether it's covering the game live for ECB and the House of College Hoops, or if it's just there just watching as a fan. I don't care. I'll be in the bleacher seats. I'll be in the nose bleach. Just I wish I could have had a chance to go to this game because, my God, the atmosphere was fucking ridiculous. I mean, we all knew it was going to be. You know, anytime time especially now with IU you know their programs going back to where it used to be um they're a top 10 team top 15 team um Assembly Hall is always rocking anyways, but now that you add that uh, atmosphere of a North Carolina team who's ranked number one in the country, uh, who's coming to uh, Assembly Hall for a big game like this, like I said earlier, it was the marquee matchup in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And from the word, from the start of the game to the end of the game, uh, Indiana just beat the shit out of them. No team uh, shot the ball well at all from three. Uh, North Carolina with 5-18 from the field, from the three-point line. Uh, Indiana went 3 or 13. When both teams aren't hitting like that, it really favors Indiana because their defense is elite. Yeah, I mean, just all over you. I mean, if you watch the game and watch how far out North Carolina had to start to initiate their offense was damn near by half court. And you got to give a lot of credit, I mean, to the team as a whole, but Trey Galloway was tremendous on Caleb Love in this game, forcing him to literally start the offense by half court more times than not. Um, how good was this the coming out party or what a freshman Jalen Hood Shafino 14 points some big big threes when North Carolina half dug on Trace Jackson Davis in the post half not couldn't make their mind up on it and Jalen Hood Shafino especially in the first half tremendous in this ball game playing with poise and under control hitting shots um, Xavier Johnson we got good Xavier Johnson in this game 20 points unguardable at times of course, TJD with 21 points, just eating North Carolina's lunch. We mentioned Trey Galloway. Fellas, this was the best of Indiana, like Peyton mentioned, despite not shooting the three ball very well. Indiana is going to do two things. They're going to lock you up defensively, and they're going to score in the paint. Like I said, I forget the exact total, but they outscored North Carolina something like 50 to 19 in point, uh, point paint, or yeah, paint points, if I could speak. Um, Indiana, what a tremendous performance, though. Absolutely. I was waiting for that name, Jalen hood Shafino to come up. He was unbelievable in the first half of this game. And you mentioned it, not just the stats themselves. I think he was four for four to start the game. But some of these shots he was hitting were fucking nuts. He hit a step back three just right in somebody's face. Total heat check. Um, this was definitely his coming out party. Xavier Johnson was just getting into the paint at will, creating for himself and TJD. Um, I kind of felt like when I even rewatched this one, it was a little kind of a quiet performance from TJD, even though he's had 21 and 10. It's like when you watch this game, it's everything you're seeing is Hood Shafino and Xavier Johnson. And then you look at the boxer and you're like, holy shit, TJD had 21 and 10. Like he does every single night. Yeah, I mean, go ahead, Peyton. 
Uh, there's a point in this game when I was watching this. Uh, Indiana led most of the game about 12 points or more, especially in that second half. But I think with like five minutes, six minutes ago, Carolina cut that lead down to like seven or eight. And I thought, oh shit, here comes those Tar Heels. And then you mentioned uh, Galloway. He just hit a mid-range shot, dried a lane. Guard, uh, North Carolina's guards, Baycott, uh, not Baycott, uh, Love and Davis, they couldn't guard him. Very disappointing in... Um, Pete Nance, I mean, he had 15 points. I banked on it that he had 25 points. He didn't, mm. son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> he needed 10 more points. Uh, he shot 1-7 from the three-point line. If Carolina wants to be any decent in the ACC uh, conference this year, he's going to have to shoot a higher percentage from three. Well, I mean, Carolina's woes, fellas. Um, we'll get into it briefly when we talk about conference play opening up for uh, some of these major conferences, but Carolina's with that loss was three in a row. They end up losing to Virginia Tech four in a row. Carolina is completely out of the AP poll and the ECB top 25 poll. Just, I mean, it took a month from them to go number one to completely out of every major poll. Um, this is looking like the Carolina team we saw 90% of last year. Do we have concerns that Carolina is going to have a bunch of losses and struggle to get in the tournament again? Because this does not, I'm just going to put it out there, maybe a bit overreaction. This Carolina team does not look like a team right now worthy of the NCAA tournament. I think that's very fair because I didn't think they should have made the tournament last year before they beat Duke. Um, so I think that's very fair analysis from you. One thing I will say, we 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 I can't fucking speak today. We we ranked the ACC conference, at least I did a couple weeks ago, a week ago. Um, I think Carolina might be fifth in my ACC rankings right now. I think they're behind uh, Duke Virgi- or Virginia, Duke, Virginia Tech, and potentially Miami. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I definitely think there's some cause for concern. You know, when you're a team that doesn't value possessions and also doesn't consistently defend, that's like the absolute recipe for disaster. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the definition of this team right now. I do think that they get it turned around at some point. I don't think they get it turned around to being a number two, number three, number four seed. But I, I think you see them safely in the tournament as probably like a five, six, seven, somewhere in that range. And probably somebody, you know, you really don't want to see as, you know, say a number two seed facing a number seven seed in the second round. Completely agree with that. And that's the bad thing about them is they're, they're struggling, but they could, you know, they get in the tournament. They're going to be dangerous regardless. I'm just I'm more upset with them because they look their body language. It, no offense is being run. We talked about it, but they look like they just don't care. There, there's so many possessions on the floor. They look like they do not care. They'd rather be anywhere else. Um, over under eight losses for North Carolina. Over. Uh, yeah, I think slightly over about nine to ten. That's, go, yeah, I don't think it's like, you know, 15 or anything, but I think anywhere between like 9 and 12 probably is realistic. Yeah. I'm going to go over as well. I just, I don't see it with the Tar Heels. Um, real quick, rapid fire, a couple of these uh, Big Ten ACC. We mentioned ACC wins. Phil, your boy's nice, comfortable win against Syracuse was able to catch most of that game. Um, TJ Shannon was tremendous as well. Again, in this one. You've got some players. I know you end up losing the first conference game against a very good Maryland team. I'm sure we'll talk about, but a comfortable win against the Orange. Yeah, I mean, speaking, we played better in that Maryland game than we did in the Syracuse game, despite winning the Syracuse game, I think, by like 20 points or whatever it was. Um, 
Illinois did not play well in that game, didn't shoot the ball well at all. But, you know, Syracuse is Syracuse at this point. Um, <laughs> shout out to Jimmy Bayheim, Retire, motherfucker. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, yeah, TJ Shannon has been a, a revelation this year. I knew he was a good player. He was really good for Texas Tech last year. But I believe I seen a stat during the Maryland game that he's already made more three-pointers this season than he did all of last season for Texas Tech. Um. And he's just turned into an absolute star. I expected a really good role player, you know, you know, supporting cast kind of guy. And he's the absolute star on this team. Um, ended up getting his eye busted up in the Maryland game, came back, almost fucking yammed on somebody. Um, he just he plays completely fearless. He's not afraid to take any shot. He's not afraid to try to dunk on anybody. Um, and, and that's the kind of dude you need especially come tournament time, you know, when, when nobody else has it going, like we talked about earlier, do you have somebody who can go out and get 25 or 30 and TJ Shannon is that guy. Coleman Hawkins in the Syracuse game had a triple double 15 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned, I was getting ready to say that. And Illinois shooting, Illinois shooting 35% from three as a team and Syracuse's zone. That's the last thing a team needs to do against this uh, Illinois team with guys like Shannon shooting a three. So well, Matthew Mayer, um, Sky Clark showing the ability to shoot a little bit. Like this Illinois team's damn good right now, despite the Maryland loss. You mentioned Matthew Mayer. He had a quote the other day that I just absolutely love to hear, especially as an Illinois fan, you know, they were asking him about his shot, not falling so far and whatever. And he was like, you know, my shot's going to fall eventually. I know how good of a shooter I am, but I'm finding ways to contribute right now in other ways when my shot isn't falling. You know, his defense, his rebounding. He has been one of our best players despite his offense not really being where we need it to be. And that's a, that's a guy – that's a quote from a guy who's been around, won a national title. Like, that's a very experienced quote. He knows his shot will come, but he can uh, uh, affect the game in other ways. I mean, that's his confidence, too. I mean, you don't want somebody obviously going out there and going 0 for 9 from 3, like we were talking about, you know, with Caleb Love shooting you out of games. But you can't be out there playing scared either. And Matthew Mayer is not backing down from open shots. And, you know, if he goes 0 for 3, but there are three open shots, you know, we got to trust the process. And and those shots will fall eventually. So Oh, yeah. He's too good of a shooter not to pick it up down the stretch. Um, a couple other ga- big games this week I want to talk about real here, real quick. Um, you talk about not scared, and that is Chris Beard's Texas Longhorns. They're coming in in the ECB Top 25 poll, ranked number two this week. Beat Creighton in another big game in the Moody Center on Thursday evening last week, 72-67, in a game that was ugly at times offensively. Neither team particularly shot the ball well, but when it came down to nut-cutting time, Texas had the tougher dudes. Marcus Carr, 19 points. Tyrese Hunter, 15. Fellas, they might be the best backcourt in college basketball right now. I think so. Yeah. Uh Marcus Carr, he's back. This is the Marcus Carr yeah. that I this is the Marcus Carr that we seen at Minnesota. He's finally back. Nineteen points, five assists, five rebounds. He's hit some tough shots, especially late down the stretch. Uh the Moody Center was on fire. Talking about a big time atmosphere like we talked about with uh the Assembly Hall. Uh this is another one who's up there. Probably top five, definitely top ten in my eyes. Um 
Tyrese Hunter, 15 points. He's been great. He's been better than I expected. He wasn't really much of a scorer when last year at Iowa State, more of a distributor, but he's came in and gotten some buckets. Uh, I definitely, I think top three, without a doubt, you know, Houston has a great backcourt, and so, so does Baylor, so, but top three backcourt, without a doubt. And Phil, this, oh, I talked about shooting woes. Both teams combined for a total of eight of 46 from three. Neither team shot the ball particularly well, and Creighton's been in a little bit of offensive slump, losing to Nebraska just yesterday um, in their home building of Creighton. So, uh, Texas, how do you beat this team? Because you know defensively they are so damn tough. They've got the backcourt to win. They've got wings who are playing well right now. They've got a bench who's coming on and taking the same identity as the starting five. What's the recipe to knock Texas off? Because they look like a national title team right now. I mean, you just mentioned it. They don't mind getting in a game that, you know, teams combine for eight for 44 shooting from three or whatever the stat was, because they know they're going to defend on every possession and how many teams are going to do that. You know, they know they can lean on that. They're number three in adjusted defense right now in Ken Palm. I think the recipe to beat them is honestly just get hot from three and then have some athletes. I mean, you're not going to beat this team at, at their game, slowing it down. And that's, that's the tough part. Cause that would normally be the recipe for a team that's this athletic this experience is you want to slow it down. You want to limit possessions, but that's what they do best. Um, as far as their backcourt goes, they're right there with Houston. I mean, Houston would probably be the only backcourt that I would even consider taking over them. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that looking at it and looking at the big 12, I, I think that we're going to be looking at them in the top five for a long time this season. And I don't think that they're losing in the Moody center this year. I mean, at home, it has turned into one of the best home court advantages in college basketball. I don't think Kansas goes in their wins. I don't think TCU, Iowa State, Baylor. I, I think they finished the year unbeaten in the Moody Center. They're going to have to get beaten on the road. They're not a great three-point shooting team. I, I, they've had some games where they've hit, I, the Gonzaga game. But overall, they're shooting 28.9% from three. That ranks 314th in the nation. But they're top five inside the arc. In two-point percentage, 60.6%. They're fifth in the nation in that. Free throws. They don't shoot free throws well. That's a team 67.3%, 268 in the nation. And you would think for a team who grinds it out defensively like they do, that like a Virginia, they want longer shot clock offensive possessions. They're 23rd in adjusted tempo and as far as possession length. They're, they're getting a shot up inside right around 15.5 seconds into the shot clock. So it's a weird anomaly, but this Texas team is so good, man. They look on that short list of teams that can win the damn title this year. It, the fact that they're only shooting about 29% from three-point line, they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, like you mentioned, 314th according to Ken Palm. The fact that they're shooting that poorly from three and they're still beating up teams like Gonzaga and Creighton, to be fair, it was at home, but who gives a shit home away? Neutral site in my uh, front living room. Who cares? A win's a win. And they've gotten two of the most impressive wins probably of the season so far. Definitely ranked top 10. And if they can up that three-point percentage to at least 33%, that's very still below average, but still very good, or good enough, then that's they might be the best team in the country. They might be the best team in the country right now, period. I, I, I would throw them definitely in that mixer. There, there's... A couple of them that look really good. Um, I mentioned Baylor. They had such a weird week because 
on Tuesday, they go up to Marquette and just get throttled by Shaka Smart's team. 96-70, take a massive loss. Then they come back Friday and win a close one against Gonzaga in the rematch of the title a couple years ago. They win 64-63. So what are we to make of Baylor this week? Do you think the Marquette game was a case of maybe overlooking them to get ready for Gonzaga? Or is there some concerns there? What do we make of Baylor's week where they go one and one, win a real good game against Gonzaga, but just get absolutely manhandled by Marquette? Yeah, I look at that game just the way it went as sort of an anomaly, too. You know, they were down 25, I think, within the first like 10 or 12 minutes I of the game. I think they got down 30 plus at one point, didn't they? Uh, yeah, it, could, it very easily could have been in the first half. But I just think they got so down so big so early that, that you know, they were some of those deficits were, you can fight back from. But that one, they were dead in the fucking water. They were, I think I they were already turning the focus there to Gonzaga. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. They were down. Largest lead for Marquette was 96-64. They were down 32 points. Yeah. And like I said, they were down huge early even. It's one thing if you fall down, you know, 10, 15 early. But if you dig yourself a 25-point hole in the first half, it's just hard to emotionally recover from that and not kind of turn your focus to another big game you have. Uh, I think this team's going to be fine. You know, the Virginia loss, they ran into a super hot Virginia team. Um, so I know they have a couple of blowout losses, but I ultimately think they're they're a top 10 team. Peyton, yep. their, their game against Gonzaga, thoughts on the one-point victory? Uh, I thought they played well. They started off the game. They was up 15-4, so they jumped them early. And then Gonzaga started to get into the rhythm, hit some shots, brought it back. Um, at one point in the game, Gonzaga was up, I think I think it was 62 to, well, 61-56 with like under a minute left, under two minutes left, something like that. And then Baylor, Keontae George hit a big shot. Flagler hit a big shot. And then all of a sudden, Baylor's down 60 well, they went 64-63. They was down 63-62. to 62, And then, I don't remember who shot the free throws. Well, I think it was Flagler. He got fouled. One of these, one of their best players got fouled. Went to the free throw line, hit two free throws. Gonzaga had a chance. Russell Bolton had a chance to uh, hit a game-winning layup. Missed it. Good defensive stand by uh, Baylor. Baylor wins this game 64-63. I agree with Phil. I still think they're a top-10 team, and I think they got a top-three backcourt in Flagler and uh, LJ Cryer and Keontae George. So well, Baylor's going to be fine. Well, the team that they beat, Gonzaga, this is their third loss before January. They didn't get their third loss last year until the last regular season game where St. Mary's beat them. Um, they are 5-3 and three on the year. They're only quote unquote. Well, no, I guess they've got two. They beat Michigan State. They beat Kentucky. Um, but it, this is uncharted territory for the last half decade. So for Gonzaga, five and three. They've got three losses now. We just turned the calendar to December. They've got a couple more non-con games in Washington this upcoming Friday and Alabama next Saturday that are very interesting before they get to uh, conference play. So what are we to make of Gonzaga? I feel like the struggles are still there. They're still super inconsistent backcourt. Timmy is doing what Timmy does. But what do we feel about Gonzaga as a whole with three losses? One thing I'll say about Drew Timmy, and especially in this Gonzaga-Baylor game, Gonzaga, oh, Baylor did a hell of a job guarding him. Drew Timmy didn't have his first field goal with six minutes left in the game. Not in the first half, in the game. He didn't score until... 
five minutes and 18 seconds left in the game. Ridiculous. They did a hell of a job guarding him, and he was just out of his element. He does not want to play Baylor anymore. Good thing he's just probably his final year. <laughs> he needs to stay away from the Baylor Bears because they just keep getting his fucking number. That's twice in a row now that they've shot him down completely. Scott Drew, uh, baby. It's Scott Drew, 100%. But Gonzaga... Uh, we mentioned it, what, last week? They just can't defend anybody. They can't get out on the perimeter. They're not finding their identity defensively. And it's a good thing that that move potentially to the Big 12 didn't happen this year because them being that WCC, definitely a weaker conference, um, should be a little bit, bit, little bit better this year. They'll have plenty of time to figure out what they want to do uh, defensively. It's just right now, it's just not working. And Drew Timmy got shut out, especially in this game. Yeah, well, and I mean, if you look at it adjusted offense-wise, they're number two in the country in Ken Palm, but their tempo has been much slower this year than it typically is. They're only 52nd in the country compared to fifth last year, seventh the year before. So they're playing a little bit slower. Um, the problem previously to this Baylor game had been guard play, you know, super inconsistent at guard. But Peyton mentioned it, Drew Timmy doesn't show up at all in this Baylor game. And, you know, you can't have a guy like him, you know, when the team is built around you, you can't just have a complete no-show performance like that. You can have 15 points and 11 rebounds. You can't come out and not score your first basket until six minutes left in the game. No, um, I, no go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, so, you know, it, if it's not their guard play, it's Timmy not showing up. If Timmy shows up, it seems like the guard show up. They just they don't have consistency across the board, and they just need to get back to playing Gonzaga basketball offensively. But I do wonder how much they miss – Tommy Lloyd being around and, and directing some of that offense in that regard, but also in recruiting. I mean, they just look like they don't have the same type of dudes necessarily that they had when Lloyd was there. You know, a lot of guys who can pass, create for others, do little things that don't necessarily show up in the box score. I mean, right now you're just seeing a very atypical Gonzaga offense. Well, you know, the name that we've not mentioned all year basically is Anton Watson. Um, that was supposed to be the guy in the back or in the front court to help Timmy out. And he's been kind of quiet. Timmy needs like that Chet Holmgren or Anton Watson or somebody to step up to help alleviate some of this. If it's not going to be the guards, it's gotta be Watson. And I'm with you, man. It feels like the pieces aren't all connecting at the same time. And they've still got two non-con games that are easily losable in Washington and Alabama before they get to the WCC and if you looked at how the WCC has been playing, not necessarily win-loss record, but Portland's look fucking really tough against the top teams. St. Mary's tuck Houston to the wire. Like, I'm not saying the WCC is not Gonzaga's to win again, but it might be a little harder this year. Well, I was expecting a lot more out of Malachi Smith, if we're being honest. I mean, guy who averaged, I believe, 20-plus points a game last year and averaging under nine right now. Um, he, I mean, he's shooting the ball okay, but he, they just haven't put him in a huge role. I was expecting him to kind of be one of the lead guards for them. Um, you know, you mentioned Rasir Bolton has been very hit or miss. They just they need one of those guys at least to emerge as somebody that they can count on for a bucket outside of Timmy. 
Well, you mentioned the tempo being completely different from fifth to this year being 52nd. I think a lot of that has to do with, I'm sorry, with Sewell Bolton, he's a solid player, but he's not Jalen Suggs. He's not Andrew Nimhard. Both of those guys can go get buckets, but both of those guys can push the pace when it comes to getting offense, getting a defensive rebound and go push the pace. Give them the ball, let Drew Timmy trail from behind or forward, whatever it is. They don't have guys like Andrew Nimhard or Jalen Suggs to go do that. So I think it's a big discrepancy of why they're so low on uh, just a tempo. That, that's a great point, and it's not just Bolton. It's Nolan Hickman. I think Hickman plays better in a slowdown game. He's not necessarily a guy that wants to push the tempo like a Nimhard or a Jalen Suggs. So I do think there is something to that where the guards maybe aren't as equipped to push the ball ahead to get out in front of the defense. I think it's a great point. Um, real quick before we take our one and only break, guys, we had conference play start up this week for a handful of the big conferences, the Big Ten, the ACC, Pac-12. We've seen upsets already. Game number one of conference play, Arizona. We blew them last week. They go to Utah, take an L, their first loss of the season. Um, I'm not definitely nothing to be concerned about, but I mean, game one already, Arizona takes an L, 0-1 inside the Pac-12. Uh, thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, definitely a surprise. I was expecting Arizona to potentially run the table in the Pac-12, to be honest. And if not, to just struggle sort of with, you know, a game or two with UCLA, maybe USC, somebody like that. Um, but Utah has been kind of a surprising team so far. Off to a 7-2 and two start. They are number 19 in the net, which is actually above Arizona. Um, so maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. I mean, Utah isn't one of the teams that we were really talking about coming into the season, but looking like a, uh, I don't want to say a Pac-12 contender, but maybe a potential tournament contender. Well, I'm wondering how much Arizona has the Maui hangover because not only did they lose to Utah, they did bounce back and beat Cal at home yesterday on Sunday. But they only won by 13, and Cal's not got a single win all year, and they do not look good to only win by 13. I know it's a win. It's a conference win. They're always going to be hard. But that's one of those games you feel like they should win by, like, 25 or more. Maybe that's just me being jaded a little bit. Yeah, and this Utah loss, I mean, I'm this shit ain't going to happen again. They shot 4 of 28 from a three-point line. That's 14.3%. That shit ain't going to happen again. So, yeah, they went 0-1 uh, to start the Pac-12 play, but I think that shit ain't going to happen again. They're going to shoot a lot better from three. I think you're, I think I'm with you. Other upsets in the ACC, we kind of alluded to it. Virginia Tech knocks off North Carolina in Blacksburg. Um, Carolina drops four in a row. We talked about their outside of the AP and the ECB top 25 polls. Um, but I, the story here to me is how good is fucking Mike Young as a head coach? We talked about it when Virginia Tech won the ACC tournament last year. We love watching his teams. He was tremendous at Wofford. This team's only got one loss. That was to Charleston a few weeks ago. Charleston's been really good. They've beaten Minnesota now. They've beaten North Carolina. They've beaten a decent Penn State team. I mean, they beat North Carolina 80-72. to Phil, I know you're with me, man. I know you love Mike Young. I think the story here is Virginia Tech as opposed to how shitty North Carolina looks. Absolutely. I'm just always impressed with how efficient his teams are offensively. I mean, this team, despite the slow tempo that they play at, you know, you imagine a lot of teams that play a little bit slower to be more defensive minded. But this team, you know, is very average defensively. They're just, you know, 76th in the country, but top 20 offensively. Um, 
And again, we talked about it with Carolina. These teams are kind of mirror images of each other. You know, Virginia does value every single possession offensively. You know, they may not have the athletes that some other teams have, but they at least try defensively. Carolina doesn't do either of those things. And you've seen it in this game when they were losing by 15 points, you know, at halftime. Yeah, and they got down as much as 18. And Virginia Tech, they were in great offense at the staple of Mike Young. Again, back to Wofford. Those teams were fun to watch. His Virginia Tech teams are fun to watch. And they've got an all-ACC type guy. Justin Mutz goes for 27 yesterday. I mean, played 38 minutes, 27 points. Only missed four shots from the field, including on one of one from three. It, tremendous. Virginia Tech is a top-tier top ACC team this year that nobody's talking about. Well, I certainly talked about him because I had him ranked fourth in our damn magazine. I knew how good this team could be. Hunter Couture is a dude that can go get buckets. He had, what, 13 points in this game, played 29 minutes. Uh, you mentioned Justin Mutz. I'll talk about more about him later. But he had 27, 4 assists, and 11 rebounds. He had a double-double. This kid is very underrated for his display, especially in the ACC conference. Um, North Carolina. Josh, I'm going to bring this to you. When's the last time you've seen a North Carolina team shoot? 3-17 from the three-point line and only get four offensive boards? Um, The shooting, I've seen it, but the offensive boards is very concerning. But that's all effort, right? I mean, we yeah. talked about it. They're not playing hard. They're not playing hard. That's effort. Well, um, and back to Virginia Tech real quick. One guy to mention, too, is Sean Padula. Sean Padula's been awesome this year. 17 points a game, uh, four assists, three rebounds shooting the three ball pretty well. Um, you know, he he contributed last year, but I don't think anybody expected this big of a step forward for him. Not at all. Um, and Virginia, that's why I'm happy Virginia Tech cracked our top 25. They come in 25th this week. Happy to see that. Um, off, oh, go ahead. Are we moving on to a different conference? Because I got a conference I want to talk about. Yeah, well, I was going to move to the Big Ten real quick. That good segue, because that's exactly what I was going to talk about. It's very ironic that our top two teams in our magazine, Indiana, Illinois, both started conference play 0-1. I just, yeah, that's what I wanted to bring to the table. Let's start real quick, because we need to get to our break. Um, Indiana goes to Rutgers after the big North Carolina win. They just they haven't beaten Rutgers in, what, like six time, or six tries here lately? Um, and they continue the the rack, not Jersey Mike's is what it's technically known as now, but the rack uh, continues to claim top 10 or top 25 victims. Rutgers was tremendous this game. Indiana clawed their way back, took a lead, and then Rutgers finished the game like the last six minutes just dominating. Uh, the, their freshman Simpson was tremendous. Cliff Amorier, even in foul trouble, was really good. There were questionable calls that went against Indiana, no doubt. But Rutgers, just tremendous in this game. And Indiana got no help. The one thing that we've talked about all preseason reared its ugly head. Well, actually, the two things. We got bad Xavier Johnson in this game. I think he had like six turnovers. And Indiana's lack of three-point shooting outside of Miller Cop. Miller Cop tried to keep him in this game. Rutgers ran a 1-3-1 half-court zone. And they double-teamed Trace Jackson Davis in the post, and it completely fucked with Indiana. They only scored 48 points. Rutgers has turned into a place that you do not want to go and try to win, especially if you're a top 25 team. Absolutely. It also worth mentioning that uh, Hood Shafino is out in this one. Yeah. Um, did not play, so that affected Indiana a little bit. But, you know, we talk about Assembly Hall – 
you know, we talk about Illinois, the State Farm Arena. We talk about some of the other places. Is the rack the hardest arena to win in in the Big Ten? And I know that sounds crazy to say, but over the last couple of years, I think it might be. Well, it's turned into a house of horrors for teams like Indiana. We've seen them get Purdue. Like it, I, I would if you told me that, I wouldn't argue it because in the last five, six years, it's definitely become a very tough home court advantage for Rutgers. I definitely, man, that's tough. I think the Colson is tougher to play in than the Rack. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Indiana hasn't won there in like fucking twenty plus years, so I think that's definitely. Uh, higher on the ceiling when it comes to home court advantages than the rack center, but I think definitely the rack is top five in the Big Ten conference, top three maybe. Um, but I think I'd pick the Cole Center ahead of it. Well, I'll tell you another one that's tougher in hell, real quick. Mm. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on it, and that is Mackey Arena. Yeah, Purdue that too. throttles Minnesota 89 70 to stay unbeaten. Um, Zach Eady, another tremendous game 31 points, 20 two rebounds this dude is i'm telling you right now if if the <laughs> Naismith player of the year ended right now or was to end right now zach Eady has got to be Naismith player of the year and I'll, I'll put it this way i think purdue might be the best team in the country right now i think on a neutral floor on december 5th they beat houston and they beat texas thoughts that's that's a uh... That's a bold proclamation. Yeah, I think it's tough to say because Houston has not played anybody good, really. Uh, I think Texas beats Purdue. If on a neutral court, I think Texas gets them. The way Zach Eady has stepped up as a junior and his footwork in the post and you can actually throw the ball to him and catch it and make a move and he passes out a double teams well and Purdue's got shooters and, by the way, we've mentioned they're back to their defensive identity. How do you beat this Purdue team? And I mean that. And I know I'm overreacting, but how do you beat this Purdue team? Edie had an absolutely ridiculous play in that game where he uh, where he had 31 and 22, where he got the rebound and he dunked this dunked ball it. over yeah. this guy from like four and a half feet away from the back. Like it, and, yeah. and he just jumped straight up. Like it, it was like face jam. Yeah, well, that's true. I don't it know. Who was on the, no, that's exactly what it looked like. Yeah, I don't know who was on the call for this game. I don't remember, but that's exactly so. It was like Zach Edie's out here playing like he's on Space Jam with that dunk. Like it was incredible. Keep in mind, Mason Gillis did not play in this game either and he's one of the key pieces for Purdue. I don't know if there's a shooter in America. I love watching shoot more than Fletcher Lawyer, the freshman. 20 points, uh, two of four from three. Just even the shots he missed looks like they're going in. And I will stand by this on December 5th. Now, everything could change, but I think Purdue's the best team in America that I've seen so far. I think they got the wins to back it up. I think they are uh, as complete of team as we have in college basketball, and I would put them to win the title on December 5th right now. Um, I, the one weakness I feel like they have, if you played a team who is super talented and could put them in transition and wear Edie out. But I think that's the only way you can beat them right now. Are you yeah, a closet I mean, Purdue fan? Houston might have no, a I'm not. I'm just... with their size, but I think that Houston could probably give them issues with their guard play, tempo. I mean, Houston plays at a slow tempo, but they could play up-tempo if they needed to, I think. Um and Arsenault, Marcus Sasser, um, Jaros Walker has been great so far. I think Houston could give them some problems. But yeah. I also could see Purdue just feeding the ball to Edie down low and Houston having absolutely no answer for it. Well, real quick, because I do want to move off Purdue because we got to get going here and move on. But um, 
teams are screwing up. They've got the right idea, double teaming Edie, but you got to bring a weak side double. He sees these front side doubles coming down from the top of the key, and he's just passing right over the top to these shooters spread across the floor. If you're going to double him, you got to double him weak side. You got to force him baseline and have a double team waiting. That way he's got to pick the ball up sooner and maybe have a little harder time. If you bring a, a front side double team down from the top of the key or a, a strong side wing, he's just going to pass out to a shooter and they're going to bury you. I think teams are messing up doing that. But um, one other one real quick, conference play. Phil, your boys, we alluded to it. They go to Maryland, lose. I mean, Kevin Willard would probably be my coach of the year right now. Yeah, Maryland looked great in this game. Um, obviously, Hakeem Hart was absolutely unconscious from three. Um, so I, I take that into account as, you know, kind of a fluky thing. But Maryland has some dudes, you know, Donald Carey, Jameer Young, um, Dante Scott, I mentioned Hakeem Hart. They have, you know, some dudes that can score the ball. They they can shoot from all over the place. I think Kevin Willard has a really underrated squad, just like talent-wise. And then you mentioned how good of a coach he is. So he, Maryland's looking like a top five, you know, team in the Big Ten for sure. And right now, I mean, shoot, they're the 12th ranked team in the country as far as the ECB poll is concerned. Yeah, and I actually voted them seventh. I, I love this Maryland team right now. Peyton, any thoughts on the Maryland-Illinois game? Um, it was a good game to watch. Uh, Maryland was up at halftime, 41-34. They got stretched out a little bit in the early second half, and Illinois started to get going. Illinois, 25% from the three-point line, 5 of 20. That's something. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen again, especially with TJ Shannon and Matthew Mayer. He only had two points. He didn't really play his best. Uh, he's got to get going, and I think he will. Yeah, Shannon got a little banged up in this game, like I mentioned earlier, too. He took an elbow or a head clash, and uh, his eyebrow was completely split open. They had to stitch him up and all that good stuff. So kind of a, a, a weird occurrence there that I think threw things off a little bit for him, too. Yeah, I think both teams – I mean, obviously, Maryland got the big win. I think Illinois is going to be fine. They played it close. Um, it's just life. Hey, right, Peyton? We've said it for since ECB's inception. What, what, what's the deal going on right now? Hashtag conference play. That's what it and is. It's, and it's going to claim a lot of souls. But it's fun to get conference play. We had a great uh, great week of action. We got more on tap this week with some massive, massive games coming up. Before then, we're going to take our one and only break in the show, play the, some ads, pay the bills, and we'll be right back with some previews of Jimmy v week, or Jimmy v week games and many more coming at you. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh here, and I'm here to let you know that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they are here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off of your first purchase. What's going on, everybody? This is Will Tondo, the co-founder of House Enterprise, and I'm happy to announce that the Everything College Basketball podcast is now part of the House of College Hoops Network. We're really excited to bring you some premier college basketball content this season, so check out the website www.house-enterprise.com for all of our content creators, all of our college hoop stuff, and we're excited to get this season rolling. What's going on, everybody? This is Conrad here from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. 
every Monday we are live at 6.05 Eastern Standard Time with Clash of the Podcast, where you can listen to myself and my tag team partner, Sean Hubbard of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling. You might even find an old school topic or two as well mixed in. And every Wednesday, we go live on YouTube once again with AEW Dynamite post-show coverage. So at 10.05, head on over to the Everything Pro Wrestling channel and talk what we just saw on Dynamite with us. And did I mention that we are on all available audio platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thank you so much for listening to me, and let's get back to everything college basketball. There you have it. A word from our sponsors. Go check out House College Hoops. Um, Our friends at Everything Pro Wrestling. And obviously, if you plan on going to a game this winter for a college basketball game or any other type of, whether hockey or whatever, download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code House of College Hoops. Or no, what was it? I I just went blank there for a second. It's NCA NCA Hoops Digest. I just went blank for $20 off your first purchase. Joining us now on the show, he decided to hop in halfway through, but we're glad to have him. Our friend and yours too, Mr. Corey Gardner, just in time to preview some of this week's action. By the way, fellas, just real quick, I forgot to, since we're recording on Monday, I had it in our show notes. Kentucky did finally get a big win yesterday against Michigan across the pond in London. And we had some people that were like, ah, why are they playing in London? And the crowd, and I'm like, guys, they put like 10,000 people in that building across the pond. And it was a fun atmosphere. I heard loud Go Big Blue chants and Go Blue chants from Michigan fans. Kentucky wins this game. Kaysan Wallace was tremendous. The Cats absolutely needed that win. Yeah, 10K is great. The Talking about how, especially since uh, the England national team was playing in the World Cup, pretty much at the exact same time. So, get 10K in that building is it's a great accomplishment. Yeah, and I know somebody had said, like, all foreign people don't care about college basketball. You know, everybody over there plays pro ball. And I'm like, one of the best players in the country right now, Azulis Tabellis, is, you know, from Lithuania. We've had countless really good, you know, European players over the years. So, you know, there's definitely an interest in college hoops over there, and I, I just love to see the game grow any way it can. You know, yeah, I thought it was a great atmosphere and uh, good showing. Caps, the cats absolutely needed that victory. But let's move on to this week's action. We've got a pair of Jimmy V Classic games in Madison Square Garden. It's always a fun atmosphere for a great cause. Tomorrow night, Tuesday evening, numbers. Well, this is a little outdated now, but Illinois. What what do we have them in our ECB top twenty-five? Are they sixteenth? Uh, they are 17th, 17th ranked Illinois plays number two ranked Texas inside Madison square garden. Phil, this is your team. We just talked and blew Texas for about a half an hour there. It felt like, um, thoughts and previews on this matchup. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing the shirt right now. Get up and show it off. You know, a lot of there, baby. Get up but, in there. Uh, Chief I, I can't pick him in this one. I, I would be a homer if I picked him in this one because I, I just don't see it happening. I am thankful that it's not at Texas. I think they have a better chance in uh, New York City. I believe this is at MSG. Um, if they it get is. hot, they have a chance. This this Illini team has the talent and, and the shooting ability that if they get hot, they can beat anybody in the country. But I think Texas you know, does what Texas does, locks them down defensively. Um, I think Texas's experienced guards kind of take advantage of Illinois' younger backcourt, Sky Clark, you know, Jaden Epps, Sincere Harris, and uh, Texas takes a low-scoring one, keeps it in their realm, you know, 60-52, somewhere along those lines. 
Peyton, Corey, I'm going to hop in here real quick because I think this is a fun one. I think both teams are very good defensively. Illinois is ranked 12th defense. We know Texas's identity starts and ends with defense. Um, Ken Palm has Texas winning this game 73-68. I think it is going to be a close one. But one thing I want to keep in mind here is Illinois has multiple guys shooting at least 35% or better from three. TJ uh, Shannon, 38, basically 39% from three. Coleman Hawkins is stepping out. He's hit 10 threes this year, shooting 37%. Sky Clark, 35-7. Uh, Jaden Epps, 37-8. RJ Melendez, 35-5. Sincere Harris, 37-5. And we documented Matthew Mayer's struggles from three, but we know he's going to get it rolling, and he has experience against Texas. What I'm getting at, we've not seen Texas play a big game outside of the friendly confines of the Moody Center. I think Illinois has been battle-tested, wins over UCLA and Syracuse, played great against Virginia and Maryland. I'm going with the upset. I'm going the Illini for the victory because I think that they will hit shots inside MSG and make Texas play from behind. Although we love Texas, we know their backcourt's great, but do they have somebody inside that can match up with Dane Donja or Coleman Hawkins? And especially if Illinois gets hit in threes. Guys, I like Illinois in this game. I think it's going to be close, like Tim Tom says. I'm going to say the Illini 75, Texas 73. Upset city, baby, in Madison Square Garden. I don't know if you can see my fingers, but horns down, baby. Illinois gets the job done. Here's why. You mentioned Texas Tech. Oh, not Texas Tech. You mentioned TJ Shannon and Matthew Mayer. They both swept Texas last year for the respective teams. Baylor swept Texas in the regular season. Texas Tech swept Texas in the regular season. So they have experience getting the job done when they're playing the Longhorns. Not only that, TJ Shane is going to get buckets. Coleman Hawkins is probably going to get a double-double in this game. I don't think anybody on Texas' squad, doesn't matter if it's Brock Cunningham coming off the bench, Dylan Mitchell, or who, uh, Timmy Allen, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be able to stop Dane Dazer down low. Uh, and this is going to be Matthew Mayer coming out party because he's going to have to hit some shots in this game to be able to come up with the upset. Illinois, the funny Illini, gets the job What do you done. think about it, Phil? 81 to 75. We got your boys winning this game. I mean, I love to hear it, man. It gives me, gives me a little confidence going into it. But like I said, I just, you know, I, I can't take my boys in good conscience in this one. I, I really think Texas handles business. Corey, let's hear your prediction real quick. Uh, first off, I got to say, how about that ride in, boys? Because once again, I'm joining you on the road, so sorry it's a little dark. <laughs> uh, I'm actually driving through northern Indiana looking to see if I can find Louisville's first win, and it's still nowhere. <laughs> <in the future. laughs> oh, oh, hey, man. Good seeing you again. You know, long time no see. Uh, but no, back to the prediction. I think... Uh, I think it's clear cut. There's one thing that, you know, no matter what, Texas is the top three team clearly uh, in the country this year, and I don't think Illinois has enough to hang with them. I think they take it 66-59. Uh, sorry, Peyton, you're just, you're just as wrong again as you were rooting for Louisville. Well, let's say the other Jimmy V Classic game, Iowa versus Duke. We talked about Duke's getting better. Iowa, we know their offense, but they still cannot defend anybody. Um, let's start with, uh, Corey, let's start with you prediction on this one. Iowa Duke. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I think, uh, I think Iowa's going to be, you know, you already mentioned it, the defense is going to be a lackluster. 
I think, you know, Duke's just going to take advantage of that. They're going to get a couple of key stops. I think, uh, I think Duke takes it 81, uh, 72. Phil. You're on mute. You're muted. I don't think uh, Iowa has as many offensive options as Duke has. Chris Murray will have himself a big game, but Duke has, you know, three or four or five guys, like we mentioned earlier, that can score. I think Duke takes this one 89-75. Peyton? I think Iowa gets the job done, knocks off Duke. They don't turn the ball over pretty much at all. They're fourth ranked in offensive efficiency. They're first in turnover percentage. They take care of the ball as good as anyone in the country. Um... They also they shoot 34, 34.4% from the three. I mentioned last week how um, Duke is a number one offensive rebound percentage. They still are, but T, uh, Iowa's right there. They're 21st in offensive rebound percentage. Iowa gets the job done 76 to 72. Well, I'm going to stay with the baby Blue Devils here because I think they figure, they're starting to figure things out. I just think talent-wise they're better. And keep in mind, none of you mentioned it, they play – fairly regularly over the years in Madison Square Garden, they usually don't lose too much inside MSG. I'm going to say Duke, um, fairly comfortable, stretch it out in the last five or six minutes. I'll say Duke, uh, high scoring, um, why not? Let's say 91-79 Duke wins. Let's, um, other big games this week. Friday, we've got Washington at Gonzaga in Spokane, and I will start this one off because I've got the upset, baby. Keon Brooks is averaging something like 16 and a half points a game. Um, we talked about it. It's been documented. Gonzaga's struggles right now, and I know it's at home, but there's something about this Gonzaga team that scares me. Washington's 7-2 and two on the year. They do have a terrible loss against Cal Baptist. But they did beat St. Mary's on a neutral floor. They've beaten Colorado, who's been very, very OC, or a, or, um, ADD this season. I, there's something's telling me to go against Ken Palm, who has Gonzaga favored 81-66. I'm going to say Washington pulls off the upset. Keon Brooks goes for a career-high 30-plus points. And I, I'm going with the Huskies. I feel like if they still play that 2-3 zone, that – it's going to force Gonzaga's guards to make shots, and we know how inconsistent they've been. I think Washington wins an ugly but close win, 55-52. Well, just like Keon Brooks' old team, Kentucky, he's going to lose to Gonzaga as well. Because if, <laughs> if it's in the Spokane Arena, um, Gonzaga's winning this game. If it was on at Washington, then it may be a little bit different story. That 2-3 that zone, they're still even running that. Um, Julian Shaw is going to be able to get some buckets. Drew Timmy is going to have a lot better game than he did against Baylor. Um, Gonzaga wins this game 84-72 in a dominant fashion. I think Gonzaga finally gets the uh, the pace going in this one, and it gets their offense right a little bit. Everything clicks on all cylinders, and they win 95-77. Corey? Corey, Corey you there? Or did you get lost going to the rack center? Yeah. Oh, well, if Corey comes back, we can get him back. We'll get his prediction. Let's move on. we got a trio of tremendous games on Saturday I want to hit real quick. We've got um, we're, we got number 14, Alabama, in the ECB poll versus number one, Houston, in both major all polls, if I can get that out. Guys, Alabama, we know how good they are, Brandon Miller. We know how the talent, and we know how good Houston is. I think this is going to be a defensive slugfest. Bill, let's take it with you because I know you got to be excited about this one. Yeah, super excited about this one. Big Brandon Miller fan, but uh, 
I'm kind of a bigger Houston fan now. Uh, they have another stud freshman that we haven't really talked about. I mentioned his name earlier. Terrence Arsenault has been very good. Marcus Sasser's great player, obviously. I think Houston takes this one 67-62. One thing to keep an eye on this game is, is or will Marcus Sasser be healthy? Because he went out, um, I think, in the St. Mary's game uh, two days ago on Saturday. He went out with, like, the final two minutes holding his shoulder. So, hopefully he's going to be back and he's going to be healthy. Either way, I think Houston, J.S. Walker has been playing phenomenal to start this year off as a freshman. Um, and Jamal Shedd, and, you know, mentioned Houston. They probably have the best backcourt in the country, definitely top three. Uh, Houston gets the job done, 78-71. Guys, this is going to be the first week back for the brand-new ECB uh, Weekly Pick'em Challenge, and we've got some great games. And I'm just going with upsets galore this week because I'm going Alabama. I think that they've got the pieces. I think this is talking about a, a big stage. I think Brandon Miller is going to show out this game. I don't like where Houston necessarily is at right now. And if Marcus Sasser is not completely healthy, I think Alabama, especially the way Nate Oates likes his team's play and shooting a bunch of threes, if they can hit threes, Houston's in a lot of trouble in this game. I'm going the upset. I've got Alabama winning 72-65. to 65. Um, Another one, let's stay with another – Southeastern got kind of game here, I guess. Southeastern, Southwestern, whatever you want to call it. But number, where we got Auburn? Number 13, Auburn plays unranked Memphis, who I'm pretty sure was receiving votes this week in both the polls, ECB and AP polls. Um, but Auburn and Memphis, these are relative rivals compared to where they are uh, regionally located at. And I'm going with another upset. <laughs> Memphis, I know they've got the loss to Seton Hall and St. Louis, but they beat Ole Miss, who's a pretty good team. They've beaten a eh, decent Stanford, and, and we still don't know what Nebraska is. But I, there's something that's telling me, man, Memphis is ranked 25th in Ken Palm, 15th in defense. They're going to rely on the defense, and Auburn's all over the place with their backcourt. Their backcourt's either going to be one of the best in the country or it's going to lose them a ton of games because they're their, their decision-making. I like this Memphis team in this ball game. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be low scoring. And they have maybe the best player on the floor in Kendrick Davis. Give me Memphis 68 to 61 over Auburn. Uh, War Eagle, give me Auburn. Uh, they just be, uh, I think last week, and they be a solid, or a very talented St. Louis team, 65 60. It's about the only team they've really played that. Uh, good so far. So this is going to be their first big test. Uh, if this is at Memphis, and I think it'll be a different story, but since it's on a neutral site, I think Auburn gets the job done. They hit shots, and they win 72-64. to How dare you disregard Auburn's win over Northwestern, who now has a win over Michigan State. <laughs> That's true. Um, that yeah, that Northwestern-Auburn game set the game of basketball back by like 30 years. I think it was 49-44. to No, no, it was worse. 43-42. Oh, yeah. Yep. But, Damn, um, you gave me credit. Like, I like <laughs> Auburn in this one. Um, Wendell Green, you know, he he's just he's my guy. I can't go against him, especially not against a Penny Hardaway coach team. So I like Auburn in this one, seventy-five sixty-two. But you do agree that Auburn backcourt is super inconsistent. No, again, Wendell Green, I was about to say how great he is, and then I just had to stop and say he's my guy because he is super inconsistent. <laughs> but, but I love good Wendell Green. Well, and Katie Johnson, too. I mean, he's the yeah. same. 
same way. Um, but the big one, in my opinion, I know Alabama, Houston, but this is the one around the country, at least especially around these parts everybody's looking forward to. We've got number seven, Arizona in the ECB poll, taking on number 15, Indiana, out in Las Vegas, 7.30 uh, PM Eastern tip time will be 4:30 out there in Las Vegas. This is a big one. It's going to be Arizona's offense against Indiana's defense. What Xavier Johnson shows up will determine the winner of this game, in my humble opinion. Um, Corey, are you back with us? Can you hear us? Yeah, I got you. This is your boys, Arizona or Indiana. Yeah, you said it perfectly. I think, uh, you know, Indiana came into that game over the weekend and struggled tremendously against Rutgers. And it all started with the guard play coming out of Xavier Johnson again. He had a lot of turnovers, a lot of inconsistent shots. Um, you know, just didn't look like the point guard he had early on this year. Uh, Jackson Davis was kind of slow starting uh, or slow throughout the game. Kind of, I thought the refs were a little bit, you know, a little bit more lenient on stuff. And I think overall, all of it just kind of dictated that, you know, Indiana was behind. I think Indiana comes out pissed off tomorrow night or Wednesday night against Nebraska. We'll all be there. I think they're going to carry it over. I think uh, I think Indiana makes a marquee win out in Vegas against Arizona. The defense gets back to what it was against North Carolina. I think Indiana locks them up and takes a, uh, a 71-64 win. I think they kind of get back into the scoring a little bit more, get into the transition game. Uh, I think they run out and control the paint and get a nice little win. Peyton? This is tough. Uh, looking at Ken Palm, they have Indiana winning this game 80-79. to um, I think I agree with that margin. I think it's tough. Indiana start the season. They had a big um, win on the road. They got a big win at home. Can they get a big win on a neutral side? I don't think so. I think TJD is going to be, without a doubt, the best player on the floor. But I think Arizona just has more depth than Indiana does. I like Azulis Tubelis. I like Omar Balo. Um, I don't know if Indiana is going to have any anything down low to stop Balo from getting what he wants. He looked great in the Maui Invitational. Um, Arizona, like I mentioned earlier, is not going to shoot as bad as they did against Utah. They're going to hit some shots. That's something Indiana has to do as well. In these last two games, even though they beat North Carolina and it showed in the record, game they can't hit the three ball so if that's going to come to play along with I think Xavier Johnson's probably going to have a couple turnovers Arizona gets this job done 79 to 76 in a very close game Ooh, we almost have the same score prediction go ahead Phil I uh I like Arizona big in this one I think that uh Indiana hasn't dealt with the front court as deep or as big as Arizona between you know Tabellis and Bala like you guys mentioned but also Pele Larson coming off the bench um, Arizona just has a ton of depth, a ton of different scoring options, and I think they win this one 88 to 70. So you look at Ken Palm, or we actually just look at the results, and as great as Arizona's defense is, and they're not bad, they're ranked 59th, but they do tend up to give a, a decent amount of points. You know, 75, 78, 77, 93, 70, 79, 81, and 68. Um, Indiana is not a high scoring team, but they can put the ball in the bucket in the paint. I'm with all of you, Omar Balo and Tubelis, and we didn't even mention Kirk Kreese in the backcourt. I do think it does come down to if Xavier Johnson is good, Xavier Johnson, Indiana has a great shot. They also need Jalen Hood Shafino to play in this game. If he doesn't play, Arizona routes him. If he plays, this is a very interesting game. Indiana doesn't have to hit a lot of threes. They just have to hit some. 
I'm talking five or six of them to keep Arizona's defenses, defense honest. This is going to be a fun one. And I think I thought this a month ago, and I still think it now. I feel like Indiana's defense is always going to carry. If it comes down between a high-scoring offense and a very, very, very good defense, I feel like more times than not the defense will win this game. I'm going to stick with the Indiana prediction, even though I think Arizona more than capable of winning this game and probably will win this game. But there's something's telling me Indiana's defense finds a way to neutralize Arizona's bigs, locks them up, hits just enough amount of shots. I think Indiana wins this game 79-77. Um, so we're split on that, but I think that's a fun matchup. Let's go into start rounding out this show here. Uh, team of the week, mid-major team of the week. Uh, Phil, team of the week this from this past week. Huh? You there, Phil? You muted if you're talking? Yeah, I think Phil's muted. Well, go ahead. <laughs> team of the week this week we voted on was Maryland. Uh, they had a, you know, the Illinois win obviously secured it for them, but they did have another nice win, blowing out Louisville despite That's Louisville. That's not a nice win. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, it's still on the road. <laughs> That's not a fucking... you, you, okay, you know what I mean. It's on the road. They had to handle business. They blew out Louisville. They beat Illinois. So Maryland's our team of the week. Mid-major team of the week was Indiana State, who is now 8-1. and one. They have won four in a row, and they knocked off earlier last week. They knocked off the perennial um, favorites in our preseason magazine to win the Missouri Valley. They beat Drake, who is a very good team. Indiana State mid-major team of the week. They looked real good. Let's go to the bank on it. By the way, Peyton, pull that beautiful graphic up for the people watching. I am now 2-2 two and two on the year. Winner of my last two in a row. Peyton's currently at 1-3. and three. And Phil... Still not off the schneid yet. 0-4. Phil, I'm going to let you start again. See if you can get a win this week. You keep loving doing these. This team's going to win by 10 or more. Do you continue that trend this week? Um, that was originally what I was going to do. And sorry, my computer froze before it wouldn't let me unmute myself. <laughs> but um, That's originally what I was going to do. But I'm going to take something in that same game. And I'm going to say that Azulis Tabellus outscores TJD. Bank on it. I like that. There's a good possibility. Peyton? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go easy on this one. Let me let me double down on Illinois beating Texas. I'll double down on that. Corey, bank you got it. a bank on it? Yep, bank on it. Uh, TJD goes for 25 and 10. Oh, okay. I like it. My bank on it, I'm going to double down on my prediction just a little bit ago. I'm saying Washington beats Gonzaga in Spokane. Bank on that bitch for three in a row. Can I have another bank on it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Well, Phil banked on it that Tabellus has more points than TJD. Coy banked on it that TJD goes for however many he just said. 25 and 10. 25 and 10. Well, I'm going to bank on that same game to have some fun. Xavier Johnson has four or more turnovers in this game. I, and I think there's a chance that all three of you are right. <laughs> I think can, I, see, can I bank I think, on it that Louisville goes through another week without a win? That's not a bank uh, on it. It's supposed to be bold prediction, damn it. Get with the program. <laughs> I, I think all three of you can be right. I think TJD can go for 25 and 10. I think Tabellus could go for 30. And I think that uh, Xavier can have four turnovers. I think you all three can be right. But uh, let, let's go to shout-outs real quick. Um, I'll do mine very quickly. Kason Wallace. 
14 points, eight rebounds, five assists, huge shots down the stretch to secure the win against Michigan. He has been fantastic this year. Sam Grissel from Nebraska, 18 points in the win over Creighton yesterday. He was unbelievable. And how about Chris Jans and Mississippi State? 8-0 to start his campaign as the new head coach at Mississippi State. None. They don't have necessarily great wins, but the fact that they're 8-0 with this roster after Ben Howen kind of left the cupboard dry with a lot of people graduating and transferring out, um, you got to shout them out. Chris Jan's tremendous head coach. So there's my shout-outs of the week. I'll go next. I got three shout-outs this week. Let's start it off with a guy I talked about earlier, Justin Mutz from Virginia Tech. Had 27 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, and 1 steal in the 80-72 to upset against the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, like I said, he's very underrated, and people need to look out for him, especially when ACC gets ramped up here in a couple weeks. So shout-out to him. My next shout-out goes to Dwayne Colehill from Youngstown State. 43 points. Four rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a dominant 11-point win against Wright State, 88-77. This kid went off. Shout out to him. Last shout out goes to Nebraska for knocking off Creighton, 63-53. Mega upset. Creighton's a top-10 team and one of our favorites to definitely get to a Final Four and definitely be favorite to win the Big East this year. Well, they just knocked them off. Shout out to them and shout out to all three of my shout outs. Just one uh, quick shout out for me is Gigi Jackson. Uh, big game against Georgetown on Saturday. 22 points all in the second half. Uh, two for five from three. Played 39 minutes in a game that went to overtime. South Carolina got the W 74-71, but finally just showed flashes of the dude we've expecting him to be. He hasn't been bad at all, but this was the you know superstar kind of game or half I've been waiting to see from him. It was sort of just give me the ball and get the fuck out of the way. Um, he was, you know, cleaning up his own misses. He was getting and ones. Like I said, he was shooting the ball. He was creating for others. Um, Gigi was just phenomenal in this game. And how much would North Carolina love to have that guy right now? My God. Oh my gosh. They, they would probably be the number one team in the country and the team that everybody thought they would be if they had Gigi right now. Corey, you got anything real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I got a shout out to Indiana women's basketball. Uh, playing without their best player, Grace Berger, knocking off North Carolina by 24 uh, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge for the uh, women's side. Also, shout out to uh, Dayton, Texas A&M, and Purdue. I know uh, it was a conversation piece a couple weeks ago about the safety concerns on the women's side, just you know some of the things that were going on. But uh, for the men's side of it, kind of pulling out and uh, speaking out, kind of as a you know a lead vocal point, pulling out of the Vegas invite for next year. Uh, just because, you know, being in support of what was going on on the women's side. So, you know, kind of shout out to the men's side for, you know, standing up for their women's counterparts. I think it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out to all you for sticking with us on a day late, but definitely not a dollar short episode of uh, the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 124. We do have a big announcement. We made it on Facebook and Twitter yesterday or the day before, but as of now, we are scheduled to be joined at the top of the show next week for episode 125 live here on the YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook by the head coach of the Bellarmine Knights, Mr. Scotty Davenport. He sounds excited. Um, we are excited to get coach on, pick his brain, talk to him about the Indiana kids he has on his roster. Only Purdue has more Indiana kids on their roster, which is insane. 
um, talk to him a little bit about what's going through his process of coaching, moving up from D2 to D1, winning the national title to Division II level, winning the Atlantic Sun Conference tournament last year, but not being eligible to be a part of the NCAA tournament. Thoughts on guys like Coach Cal speaking out on their behalf of changing the NCAA rule and much more. We cannot wait to get Coach Davenport on here and pick his brain live next week on episode 125. It should be fun and a very exciting time. Just more big guests coming at you from everything college basketball. But wrapping up episode 124, for my my co-hosts, my friends, Peyton, Phil, and Corey, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Continue to watch college basketball. A lot of great games this week and this weekend. And join us live next week as we'll host Coach Scotty Davenport from the Bellarmine Knights. You guys take care. Watch a lot of college hoops. And we'll catch you next week for live episode of Everything College Basketball, episode 125. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. And we will catch you down the road.